was great, wasn't it? Happy Valentine's Day to you. Man, it is so good. Uh, let's give it up for the Kalagas one more time. Who knew that Colin could sing like that? Wow. Blows my mind. Well, hey, it's not every weekend that we start off with a super fun love song and an amazing sports blunders video, but today that is exactly what we're going to do. So watch this. And it's room service for Westbrook. Oh, he blew it! And doesn't get it off. And he. There was no Cincy pass. Upset at losing a first set tiebreak. Slams his racket twice. Now the second swing hits his dad, who doubles as his coach. And during the same break, his mom, herself a, a former pro in the Soviet Union, walks down, have a little word with him, young man. And then the throw gets away, and they got Walters behind him, who dribbles his way up the base path and hits Calhoun in the back of the head. What in the world is going on? Rodetsky, oh my goodness, what an error from Lucas Rodetsky. Jones keeps, gets a block, takes off and he is gone, trying to stay upright and he trips, here comes Kiermaier, Phillips has tied the game, Arose Arena coming around, throw home, now he stumbles, but the ball gets away, Tampa Bay wins it. And there is something about blunder videos, isn't there? Like, it's just so fun to watch other people mess up. In fact, we thought about including the entire Super Bowl and the halftime show in our blunders video, but it would just take way too long. Uh, sorry if I, I think I just offended everybody by that statement. But are there really any Buccaneers fans? Is that even a thing? Or is it just Tom Brady fans? I don't know, but we'll figure that out later. Well, hey, uh, man, it's good to be here with you today. Uh, my name is Chris, one of the pastors here, and um, we are in, towards the end of a series called MVP, where we are looking at purpose. What does it mean for us, for you and I, to live our lives with purpose? This idea that God has designed us for a specific purpose and that we uh, can live within that purpose. And how we've defined purpose is where passion and gifting and experiences collide. Where those things, where those three things sort of converge is, is really what it looks like to live in purpose. And here's the thing is that we all want to live in purpose. But oftentimes, though, we find ourselves just sort of floating through life, kind of, kind of living day by day. In fact, the Bible talks about this, this idea that where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, where there's no dreams, where there's no goals, where there's no purpose, people eventually, you burn out because we can only flounder around for so long. In fact, it's been said that the person who lives without purpose is like a ship without a rudder. And you just imagine this big sailboat back in the day, the floating across the ocean, just kind of going wherever the wind decides to take us. And so we want to live in purpose. We want to live with passion, with giftings, and with our experiences. Where those converge, we want to live with purpose. And so passion, we looked at passion a couple of weeks ago, and passion are those things that, uh, that really ignite a fire within us. Passion is that, that stuff that, that we can say, what, what is it that wrecks me? 
What are those things in, in this world around me? What are those things that I see that, that just wreck me? And maybe that is something that's pointing to those passions in our lives. Last weekend, we, we talked about giftings and how every single person has been given gifts. In fact, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, uh, this cool idea that if you're a follower of Jesus, it's a direct result of someone at some point who was operating in their gifts within the larger body of Christ. And here you are because of that. And that we all have these gifts and, and God wants us to use our gifts. And this weekend, we are talking about our experiences how our experiences in life, every single one of us has a story. And this weekend we're looking at how do our stories, what do those experiences mean for us to live in purpose and with purpose? Now you might be wondering, what do you mean experiences? Are you talking about like good experiences or work experiences or relational experiences or or bad experiences or what kind of experiences are you talking about? And to that question I would say yes to all of the above. All of our experiences, both good and bad, all play into how we can live with purpose. One example of this is uh, my, my buddy Sam Messerly, and uh, some of you know Sam. He grew up in a home where his father was a stonemason. For, for, by the time he retired, he had 50 years of experience as a stonemason. And so Sam, when he was about 13 years old, started learning this trade from his dad and entered into the family business and worked with his dad for almost 30 years, working with his hands and concrete and stonework. And uh, little did he know that not only was his work, like all of ours, when our work is done for the glory of God, no matter what it is that you do, it's purposeful work, right? But not only was his work purposeful in that, but little did he know is that last year we took a team to northern Thailand to work with one of our partners over there that provides clean water for these little villages that would otherwise go without. And so we got there, and the very first morning in this village, we woke up at 5 o'clock, and our goal this week was to build this huge water tank, this 10-foot-tall water tank, which none of us have ever done before. So we get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and we start mixing concrete you know, with shovels on the ground, and we didn't really know what we were doing except for Sam. He knew exactly what he was doing. Why? Because of his experience as a stonemason. Little did he know that, that, he would, that, that, that his experience would have the unique expression of living out his purpose in the jungles of northern Thailand. You see, that's just one example of how our experiences can play into our purpose. And here's the thing is that we all have those experiences, don't we? Yet at the same time, we have experiences in our past that we would much rather forget, don't we? We have those things that, that are in our stories that we look back on and they make us cringe. Those failures, those blunders, those giants of our past. What are those for you? Are they, do you have some regret? Is there maybe some shame? Is there an addiction that, that seems to kind of come and go over the years? What are those giants of your past? You see, we all have these giants of our past, and, and sometimes these giants of our past, what they do is they, they beat you down and they keep you on the bench. They keep you from actually living in your purpose. These are our blunders. And thank God there's not a video celebrating our blunders because that would be humiliating, right? What do those giants tell you? Do they tell you that you're not good enough? 
Do these giants tell you that you are just the sum of your mistakes, that you're not qualified, that you'll never be more than that? What do these giants tell you? So the question is this. So how do our experiences, both good and bad, how do they actually play into our living with purpose? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And thankfully, the Bible, the Word of God, is full of blunders. In fact, if you think of the top 10 blunders, uh, the story we're going to look at today is, is in, in the top 10. But I mean, think about the top 10 blunders of the Bible, right? I mean, Adam and Eve, they're probably up there. Maybe, maybe the top blunder, like thanks a lot, Adam and Eve, you know, you couldn't just keep your hands off the fruit, right? And you mess it up for everybody. Or like Peter, who denied Christ three times in front of a 12-year-old girl, Right? I mean, here's the thing is there's lots of blunders, and this one is in the top 10. And so we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 1. If you want to turn there, we're going to be in verse, uh, starting in verse 11. So as you turn there, I want to uh, say a prayer for us, and then we will dive into God's word together. God, thank you for today. Thank you for another day that we get to experience your mercy, your love, your goodness, God, all of the amazing things that we get to be grateful for, we know they're all from you, and we thank you for it. And God, today, for many of us, if we're honest, we would say that there's some giants of our past that we worked really hard to keep them subdued and quiet. And at the same time, it's these giants that are keeping us from living in our purpose. Sometimes these giants are really powerful. And sometimes we believe the lies that they tell us. So God, my prayer today is that you would, that you would give us freedom from these giants. But not only that, Lord, would you use these giants of our past? God, would you use them for your glory? And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 1 says this in verse 11. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Now let's stop right here for just a moment. And I want to recap for you what he's talking about. He's talking about his past. Now, Paul was originally named Saul. He was born into a Jewish family who lived in the city of Tarsus, which is a, a, in modern-day Turkey. Now, why is this important? See, he was a Jewish man with Roman citizenship. And not only that, growing up in a Jewish household in a Greek city, he learned both Jewish and Greek ways of thinking. When he was a teenager, his family moved to Jerusalem, where Paul then started studying in order to become a teacher of the law. This is what he means by, like, I was advancing among, uh, above everybody else. Paul even goes as far to describe himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews, which in other words means he was like the man. I mean, he, he was blameless. There was nobody who could top him. 
He had it all together. He had everything right. He had all the best experiences. He was the man. His experiences were, were helping him become who he was meant to be. But then the blunders started. And in verse 13, he talks about his blunders, but he kind of candy coats them a little bit. He, he says it nicely. He says, I, was, uh, I persecuted the church and violent, violently tried to destroy it. What he means here is not that he was just annoyed with Christians, but that he was actually actively seeking them out in order to ruin them. The, the, the word that he uses for destroy is the same word used to describe the sacking of cities. You see, what Saul would do is he would go and they would, with his band of thugs, and they would break into believers' homes, and they would rough them up, sometimes killing the husband or the father, and they would arrest the entire rest of the family and put them in jail for their faith. This is what he did. In fact, Saul was probably there and present when Timothy, the first uh, recorded martyr, was stoned to death. This is what he did. This is who he was. This is his past. This is, these are the blunders of his past. Going on in verse 15, he says this, but when he who had set me apart from before I was born, who called me by his grace, when he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did, not, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Now, what he's talking about here is his conversion experience. Now, this takes place in Acts chapter 9. I would encourage you to go read the story. It's an amazing story. But Saul was on his way to Damascus with papers in hand to go and persecute more Christians by name. Like he knew who he was going to go target. And, and on their way to Damascus, Jesus shows up in this blinding light, knocks Saul off of his horse and says, Saul... Why are you persecuting me? That was it. That was his conversion experience. Because of the blinding light, he was blinded. He couldn't see. He had to be led by the hand into the town, into Damascus. There he found himself sitting in a house for three days. Just imagine suddenly being blinded for three days. What do you think went through his mind in those three days? Probably a lot of the same things that go through our minds when we think about our blunders. Probably stuff like, man, what have I done? I can't believe what I've done. To call this a huge mistake is a massive understatement. I mean, what have I done? I've completely disqualified myself. I've completely taken myself out of the game. I cannot believe, I see the faces of those people that I put in jail or that I killed. And what went through his mind during those three days? After three days, God brings someone to him and named Ananias. He prays for Saul. He regains his sight. His name changes from Saul to Paul. And quickly we see this amazing transition where Saul, who became Paul, went from chief church destroyer to one of the most influential church builders in all of history. How does this happen? How, how, did, how did that happen? How, this transition, this, this uh, shift 
in Paul's life should not have happened. It is humanly impossible. Nobody comes back from being that far gone. How did this happen? Well, in these verses, verse 11 through 16, you know, we believe that this entire book, this entire Bible is God's inspired word. Every single one of these words are inspired by God. However, in this section section I just read, there's one word that I think is most important. Did you catch it by chance? There's one word. There's a lot of good words in here, like gospel and grace and former life and, and advancing. and I mean, all these really good words, but there's one word that's most important, and it's a short word, and it's a word that we probably didn't re- guess would be most important, but it's at the beginning of verse 15. It's the word but. <laughs> now, if the inner middle schooler in you just started laughing, that's okay. Just, you can let it out. <laughs> but, now you might be going, wait a second, what in the world does that have anything to do with any of this? It's just a filler word. We use it all the time. We don't think about it. But actually, there's a really important definition of the word but. The word but, here's the definition. The word but negates or cancels everything that goes before it and works as a signal that the really important part of the sentence is coming up. You see, you use the word but when everything that you said before that you want to negate, right? We usually use this in apologies. Like, I'm sorry I did this, but guess what? When you do that, you've just negated your apology, It's a powerful, powerful word. And so you use but to introduce something new that contrasts with what you've just said. So here's what this means in this context. Paul says this, you've heard of my former life. You know what I've done. It's no secret to anybody. You've heard of my former life, how I've totally screwed up, how I've done done the worst of the worst. My blunders are huge. The list goes on and on and on. But God, verse 15, but God, he says, who set me apart from before I was born and called me by his grace. But God, probably one of the most important phrases in all of scripture. You see, the grace of God doesn't just pretend like all of our blunders don't exist. The grace of God lists out our blunders, and then after that says, but God. You see how that works? So, God, I've messed up. I I totally messed up this week. But God. I've gone my own way, but God. I've, I've lived for myself, but God. I, I've been a slave to my addiction, but God. I've failed as a parent. I've failed as a spouse, but God. You see, the giants of your past are big, but God, who set you apart from the beginning of the world and called you by his grace, is bigger In verse 21, watch this. In verse 21, he says this. So then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They They only were hearing it said, 
He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And here it is, verse 24. And they glorified God because of me. And here's the big idea that's at work here. Here's the big idea that's true for you and me. If you miss anything else from today, if you miss all of it, don't miss this. Is this is that the giants of your past will either prevent you or propel you. The giants of your past will either prevent you from living in your purpose or propel you in your purpose. So how do you know? How do you know what your giants are going to do? Well, here's the, here's the hint. If you are trying to manage your giants, if you are trying to hide your giants, ignore your giants, just sort of pretend like they're not even there, they are preventing you from living with your purpose. But, there's the word again, but by simply surrendering to God, surrendering to his grace and forgiveness, your giants lose their power. They can't hold you any longer. They can't prevent you. And oftentimes, those same giants propel you forward in your purpose. And here's the thing, is the greater your, the greater your giants, the greater God's work is on display. Think about it. You see, Paul, he wasn't one of the most influential church leaders in spite of his past. He didn't go around trying to convince people that he wasn't such a bad guy. He didn't move around the world to people who didn't know of his reputation. No, he wasn't one of the main builders of the church in spite of his past. It was because of his past. It was because of what God did. He used to incite fear in people's hearts, but now in verse 24, he inspired worship in people's hearts. This is an amazing truth that the giants of your past will either prevent you or propel you. A friend of mine named Jeff Lawson goes to church here. Great guy. He's a, he's a photographer. He also works at a camera shop. He, he's gifted in that way. And he has a passion. He has a passion that, that God has sort of sparked in him recently to care for people who are homeless. So instead of just walking by them or driving by them, he, he actually stops and, and he also he doesn't just give them food or give them a buck, but he'll he'll stop and his, his whole ministry right now, what he does, is he stops and he just gets to know them. He learns their name, he learns their story, he shares a meal with them, he 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 gets to know them, and then he follows up with them later and calls them by their names. Because he's a photographer, he's also taken some really amazing pictures of them, at their permission, of course. He shared with me a couple of these images. This first one is a man named Matt. Matt has been on the streets for about four or five years now. He has anger and alcohol issues. Matt lives in a car, and whenever he is given more than he needs... Matt makes sure that he gives away the rest. Matt loves the Lord, and someday I know he'll make it back to living a purposeful life. The next picture is Julie. Julie is a 52-year-old woman who has drug and alcohol issues. She has a daughter, a son, and her mother who live in town but will have nothing to do with her. Julie is very angry at God because she thinks he took away the only man that truly ever loved her. 
Julie has been on the streets for more than three years now. You see, this is his ministry. This is his ministry. He, he takes his passion for the people who are hurting and homeless. He takes his gifting of photography and he stops and he gets to know their stories, to share their stories that would other, otherwise go unnoticed. But the story gets better because Jeff has his own experiences. This is Jeff's story. I moved to Boulder, Colorado in the spring of 1984. Once again, I was working as an assistant manager for the same restaurant chain, and life seemed good. I was sleeping around, drinking lots of booze, and pot was easy to find. And then once again, in early November, everything came crashing down on me. I quit my job. I was evicted from my apartment, and I found myself homeless. Drugs and alcohol and depression had taken over my life completely. The first winter, I lived in a cardboard box on top of a walk-in refrigerator of a juice factory. There were times I was so depressed I, could not, I would not come out of my box for days. My only escape was LSD, pot, and booze. I've never been so miserable in my entire life. I could have called family to help, but I was too ashamed. I could have found a job, but I was too depressed. I could have turned to God, but I was still too angry. For the next two and a half years, I earned money by selling drugs and booze to college students. I was pretty much hopeless. Jeff's story continues because soon he had a prompting to open up his Bible. He started reading, and there in that moment, God's Spirit descended on him. And it, this was almost like his experience, like what Saul had. He had this this, this moment where he realized what was going on, and it was sort of a watershed moment. And from that point on, he's been following Jesus. And here he is, several years later, not only caring for these homeless people, but, but, but actually ministering to them in, in amazing ways. And this isn't because he has it all together, he's got it all figured out, or he has the per perfect past, but because of the giants of his past, it's propelled him forward to live with purpose in this meaningful way. So what are those giants in your past, and how can they propel you forward? Are you a recovering addict Maybe the best person, you might be the best person to talk with someone who is stuck in addiction. Do you have regrets about your marriage? You might be the best person to share with a young married couple. Did you flunk out of college? Well, maybe you're the best one to come, come alongside a struggling college student and encourage them. You see, what this means and what this looks like is what the Bible calls discipleship. And oftentimes we think we're not qualified enough for that. I don't know all the answers. I don't have it all together. My experiences don't let me do that. But, but here's what discipleship looks like is one-on-one -on -one sharing life together, seeking after the same thing, and we know you don't have it all together. But take someone along, someone along with you. In fact, very soon here at Crossroads, we're going to be starting what we're calling growth tracks. Growth tracks are simple ways for people who are new to the faith to learn some of the fundamental truths of our faith. But not only that, but we're going to pair them up with someone that we're calling a spiritual guide. Think of like a, a friend in your corner. 
And this spiritual guide is going to walk with this person through a growth track. They're going to talk about hard questions. They're going to encourage them. They're going to pray together, and they're going to walk with them through this process. For some of us, you need to do that. You need to sign up for that when the opportunity comes. What does it look like for your past to propel you forward in your purpose? Here's the question. How do you do that? And what do you do now? Did you notice at the beginning of these verses in verse 11, Paul actually uses this really strange phrase. He says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Right there, that word there, that phrase, man's gospel. What does this mean? You see, man's gospel is the gospel that tells you that you are just the sum of your mistakes. Man's gospel says you have to have it all together before you can mean anything to anyone else. Man's gospel says you have to have all the right answers before you can actually live in purpose. It says to try harder, but Jesus' gospel says even your worst self can be redeemed. The gospel of Jesus says surrender. You see, the gospel of man says to magnify your own gifts and talents and experiences, but the gospel of Jesus says let me use them for my glory. Man's gospel says to be stronger and to be better. The gospel of Jesus says, I am stronger and I am better. Man's gospel says, make your own destiny. The gospel of Jesus says, I have set you apart from before you were born. You see, the gospel of Jesus says this, that in your sin, you are nothing more than your blunders, but by the grace of God, who called you from before you were born, you can not only be forgiven, but that he can even redeem even your biggest blunders and use them for his good purposes. And that's always, always for our good and for his glory. And so if that's you this weekend, if you're listening online, if you're here in-house, and you're at a place where maybe you've never, you don't know what it means to surrender to Jesus. You don't know what it means to actually follow him. You don't know what it means to accept this forgiveness that is free and this grace that is amazing. Well, we want you to simply text the name Jesus to the number on the screen. And what that's going to do is someone's going to get back in touch with you. They're going to answer questions you might have. They're going to talk with you. They're going to pray with you. They're going to encourage you and help you grow in your faith. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today. And God, sometimes the giants of our past just seem to be so overwhelming that they keep us stuck, they keep us sitting on the bench, they keep us, they prevent us from living with purpose. And so God, again, I pray, would you show us what that freedom looks like? Father, you didn't send your son to die on the cross just simply so that when we die, we can be with you forever. But you sent your son to die on the cross to rescue us and to give us life now. To allow us to live a life of abundance and of purpose and of meaning now. So God, would you help us to live in that? And would you show us what it is that you want to do with the blunders of our past?
We thank you for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took the bread and the cup. And he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he passed it around and he said, whenever you eat of this bread, remember my body that's been broken for you. Let's remember together. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you, for the power of God, for the forgiveness of sin for all who believe. The power of God to forgive your blunders. The power of God to allow your blunders to propel you in your purpose in life. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we remember today. Let's remember. We're going to respond to God's goodness today with some singing together. If you would like prayer, if you're here in the room and you would like prayer, we're going to have our prayer team back in the corner over here. Please feel free during the songs to get up and go pray with someone. We'd love to do that for you. If you're online, uh, there's people who are also waiting to pray for you there. You just simply click the pray now button and someone will chat with you. All right, let's worship.